Hello, I'm Judy, and our reading today is John chapter 10, verses 1 to 21. John chapter 10, verses 1 to 21, and it's found on page 896 in the Bibles. Page 896. Verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the <laughs> Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. <coughs> So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, 
These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That's the end of the reading. Thank you, Judy. Wasn't that powerfully read? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you again so much for this beautiful day. Thank you for drawing us together by your voice. We're going to think about that from these verses in a minute. Thank you for our dear sister Christina and the new life that she's experienced recently from you that we celebrated a few minutes ago. And Lord, thank you for your word. Please speak to us. Get under our skin now, Lord. Would each of us in this room not leave the building without having heard something from you that we just needed to know at this point in our lives, whatever else is going on in them. Lord, we trust your word does that. It's supernatural and living, and it's the sword of your spirit. So please, would it do that now by your grace to us? In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So a Canadian park ranger was warning some ramblers about bears as they were trekking through some national parks. And he said, look, brown bears are, are normally harmless. and They avoid contact with humans. So what we recommend is you attach some small bells to the, your rucksacks so they can hear you coming a long way off, get out of your way, avoid you, and everything will be fine. Grizzly bears, on the other hand, are really dangerous, he said. And uh, if ever you see grizzly bear droppings, just you need to immediately leave the area. One of the ramblers said to the ranger, so how do we tell what grizzly bear droppings look like? And the ranger said, easy, they're full of small bells. <laughs> um, this morning we're thinking about the danger of predators, uh, people who prey on those who they're meant to be leading and protecting versus the true trustworthy leader. Uh, because there's lots of false leadership around. There's false leadership um, wanting to get into our lives from all sorts of sources, and for a start, religious leaders, whether of other religions or even those professing to be Christian but not preaching and teaching the Bible accurately, will inevitably lead astray those who trust them. And, and we can immediately think of, you know, the, the TV evangelists out for your money um, or liberal theologians making nice careers out of clever books that deny the Bible. But religious leaders who aren't to be trusted are all over the place. And that was the case in Jesus' day, as we're about to see, and nothing's changed in 2,000 years since. But the false leaders we need to look out for can also be anything, anything at all that isn't bad in itself, which should be a, a servant to us when we allow it to become our master. So, you know, work, career, money, uh, family, pleasure of some kind, sex, um, comfort. All of these things are good gifts given to us by a loving Father for us to enjoy and make the most of as long as they're kept in their proper place. When we allow good things to become God things, in other words, when we idolize these things and start to be driven by them and chase after them and be led by them in that sense, that's when they become false leaders because they seduce us away from the one true leader. And that's when they'll betray us. Whereas the one true leader, well, he's about to tell us about himself and, and what his ministry looks like. And we're going to see three things about the one true leader for our lives in this passage. Number one, his authentication, how he shows us he's the one true leader, how we can know that he is trustworthy. So number one, authentication. Number two, his blessings. And number three, his sacrifice. Number one, his authentication, how he authenticates himself to us. 
And this is in verses 1 to 6. So let me read from verse 1 again. But just before I do, if I explain how keeping sheep in the uh, first century Near East worked, that'll make sense of verses 1 to 6. A lot of, lot of the details will sort of fall into place. So let me explain. Typically, a sheepfold would be a large area of land enclosed by a wall, and it would be adjoining a house or, or nearby a, a big house. And um, in that enclosure, several flocks would congregate for the night. They'd be brought there by their shepherds, and they'd be herded together for safety throughout the night. And every night, once the different shepherds had got their own flocks in, they'd head off you know, to their homes, to their families um, for the night, and the, a gatekeeper would take over. Gatekeeper was kind of like the, the nightclub bouncer of the ancient world. He would watch over the whole enclosure until morning. And the way he'd do that is that he'd stay by the door to the enclosure, probably with some kind of a weapon, like a club. And therefore, the only other way any robbers could get into the enclosure would be by climbing over the wall, which wouldn't help them much because they couldn't then get a sheep back out that way. They'd have to go through the door. And then in the morning, so that the gatekeeper would stay there all night by the door, in the morning, the shepherds would arrive back for work. They'd clock in, and um, if they were true shepherds, the gatekeeper would recognize them and open the door and admit them, let them in. And then they would call out to their particular flock out of all the flocks. And their own flock would recognize their voice, because all the sheep would probably be muddled up during the night. And so out of their own flock, certain sheep among all the flocks would get up, recognizing the shepherd's voice, and come together and be led out through the door by the shepherd to be uh, cared for and nurtured and to graze under his security and leadership that day. Does all of that make sense? Can you picture that? That's how it worked, okay? That will now make sense of verses 1 to 6. So uh, picture that as I read again from verse 1. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, as we just thought of, that man is a thief and a robber. And, and that's the false leadership we just thought about. Thief carries the idea of stealing by stealth. Robber carries the idea of stealing by force. Now, some false leaders in our lives, whether or not they're, they're individuals or um, just things in our lives that should be our servants that we've allowed to become our masters that are leading us in that sense, some will trick us down the wrong path and seduce us down the wrong path. We won't even know what they're doing while they're doing it. It'll be very subtle and clever and incremental. That's the thief. Other false leaders in our lives will try to pressure us down the wrong path and bully us down the wrong path. And we'll know it's bad when it's happening. We'll spot it. We just won't quite be strong enough to resist. And that's the robber. So thief and robber. Reading on from verse 2. But, says Jesus, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. And then we get the feature that authenticates Jesus as being the true shepherd. And it's this. It's his call and our response. That's what authenticates him as being the real deal. His call to us, we're the sheep, and our response. The fact that we recognize his voice and get up and follow him, if we're believers. Reading on in verse 3. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Same thing again, verse 4. When he had brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Why? For they know his voice. Same thing again, implied by its opposite in verse 5. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. Why? For they do not know the voice of strangers. So here's the big idea. There is something planted in the heart of every true Christian 
can think of it almost like a spiritual homing beacon, homing device. That means that when Jesus calls them to follow him, they find themselves recognizing the voice, getting up and following him. To put it another way, he calls to them, and to quote the end of verse 4, they, they find that they know his voice. It, it resonates in their hearts. There's something about it rings true. They're compelled by it. And Jesus' call can come to us in lots of different ways. Um, maybe it'll be when we hear the Bible preached one Sunday. And, um, you know, that was the case for Saffron, who became a Christian recently. We baptized her earlier this year, and that was how she heard the call of Jesus. Um, maybe it'll be when we do an evangelistic course. That was the case with Christina recently. It's how she became a Christian. Um, maybe the, the call of Jesus will come to us when other Christians witness to us. That was the case for Hugh, who became a Christian uh, recently. Um, maybe the call of Jesus will come if we're reading a Christian book with good biblical theology. Occasionally, it might even come through a dream. And I know of at least one Dima um, who ended up becoming a Christian that way. That's actually much less uncommon in unreached countries, especially in the Middle East, where people just have no access to Bibles. You hear quite a few stories of, of Jesus appearing to people in dreams and then them later finding out stuff that corroborates this, this dream they had that, that sort of impacted them more than anything else in their life before and they become Christians. However it happens, there was a moment for each of us believers in the room right now when we once heard the call of Jesus in any of those ways. And it just rang true and we found ourselves drawn to him. And so we found ourselves getting up and following him. We found ourselves repenting and believing. In other words, we found that we recognized his voice. But the other striking little feature of the shepherd's call in this passage is tucked away in verse 3. So have a look again at John chapter 10, verse 3, page 896, and see if you can spot it. Someone tell me, how does the shepherd call his own sheep? By name. And in fact, I was kind of surprised to discover in my research, still to this day in the Middle East, shepherds know their the sheep in their flocks by name. Um, they, they apparently still to this day call them things like you know, long ears and white nose. And with us, Jesus isn't just like, oh, there's, there's big ears and big nose. No, oh, I see he's preaching again this morning. Like we, we're more than livestock to Jesus. He made us in God's image. We're precious to him. We matter. And so, you know, Revelation 20, the end of the Bible says, each of our names is written in, the, in his book of life. And, and Luke 12 says he knows the number of hairs on each of our heads. And Psalm 56 says he keeps track of each of our tears and they matter to him. And Galatians 2, Paul says, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Like we matter to him as individuals. He calls us by name. So the craziest member of my crazy family is called Oscar. Some of you might have met Oscar. He, he made an appearance at the weekend away recently. And uh, one of the highlights for me pretty much every evening is walking Oscar in some nearby woods. And Oscar loves to roam far and wide, especially in the dark these days, you know, winter drawing in. Um, and he goes for miles. And, and this is a dog, by the way. This isn't like my four-year-old. Um, and when I haven't seen Oscar for about five minutes, typically I'll, I'll whistle haven't got a very good one. I can't do that. I'd love to be able to, but I, I do my best and I listen. Sometimes not anything. And then I'll really shout out his name as loud as I can. Oscar! Listen. And then usually in the far distance, maybe like a mile away, I'll hear the sound of something big crashing through the undergrowth. 
and it'll gradually get louder and louder and closer and closer. And then out of the nearby bushes will shoot this, this dog-shaped rocket, like just a blur of red fur. It'll crash into my legs. He'll be wagging crazily. He'll be covered in mud. He'll cover me in mud. He'll be leaping up, trying to cover me in very slobbery kisses. And if you were to interview Oscar at that point and say, Oscar, how did you know Will was your master? He'd say, he's very intelligent, by the way. We trained him to talk. Um, he'd say, well, it's because he was the one who called me. And I, I heard his call, and I recognized his voice. And I, I found myself responding to it. I have this instinct. don't know where it comes from, but I just... When he calls me, I know he's my master, and I find myself rushing to him. That's how we can have confidence Jesus is our, our master, the, the, the true master, the true leader we can trust. And for those among us who aren't yet Christians this morning, we, we have seekers here like every Sunday, and that's one of the things I love most about this church. You're so, so welcome if you're not a believer yet, and I hope you keep coming. But if you have been coming on Sundays recently and listening to God's word preached and maybe feeling a little bit compelled by these truths, they get under your skin, you feel sort of drawn to them, um, maybe in a way that other worldviews or, or wrong versions of Christianity have never quite done to you, that could be Jesus calling to you. You could be hearing your master's voice. And I would urgently counsel you, don't walk away from that. Because if you do, you never know, your heart may harden you, spiritually, your ears may stop up, and you know that the moment will have gone, and you may regret it forever. Because when it comes to our true, rightful Lord and Master, the Good Shepherd, when He calls us, if if we hear the call, that's how we know He is our true Master. If we feel something inside us that's drawn to Him, feel convicted by these truths, something resonates in our souls, then don't walk away or run the other direction. That's how we know he is the true and rightful master, the loving Lord, the good shepherd. So that's authentication. The passage then moves on to, secondly, his blessings. And this is in verses 7 to 18. Let me read verse 7 again. So Jesus again said to them, I am the door to the sheep. And we've talked about this quite a bit in previous messages. I'm not going to belabor the point again. But there are seven I am sayings spread throughout John's gospel. And the I am bit of each of these sayings um, is a claim by Jesus to divinity. And listen to last week's message online. Catch up with that if you want to know how that works. And I am the door to the sheep, as we have here, is number three. It's the third of the seven I am sayings throughout the gospel. And Jesus' claim to divinity here, I am the door to the sheep, is basically about the fact that he is the only way into God's people. He is the only way. If you imagine the enclosure with the door that I described at the beginning, he's the only way into God's family. He's the door to the sheepfold. And as such, he's the source of, and, and, the, and the funnel, the conduit, the, the root of multiple blessings to us as his sheep. And here are just three of them. Number one, eternal salvation. So look at verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Following Jesus, being a Christian, is not a, a nice to have. It's not a bolt on. It's not just an, a, a sort of an extra app you download in your life to, to give you a nicer life, to make you healthy, wealthy, happy, and wise, anything like that. It's about are you going to be saved or not saved, saved or lost in eternity? So that's the, the first and the biggest, salvation eternally. Uh, verse 9. Secondly, 
Blessing is security, safety, nurture. Reading on in verse 9. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out safely of the enclosure, is the implication, and find pasture. In other words, he'll be nourished and fed and nurtured and will grow spiritually. And then a third blessing is abundance of life, verse 10. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Another translation puts that, have it to the full. Um, anyone here remember that all-time classic movie of the 90s, Free Willy? Many in the 9.30 knew and loved that one. You guys, probably many of you too young. But um, it's this, this really sort of feel-good American family movie about this orca whale. And soon after the movie was made, activists discovered that in real life that the whale who starred in the movie um, called Keiko really did live a life that he was portrayed as living in the movie. He was really horrifically mistreated, um, lived in a really unhealthy environment. And here's what one magazine wrote. His tank at Mexico, City, Mexico City's theme park, full of chlorinated, artificially salted water, was barely large enough for the 21-foot animal to turn around in. Um, his muscles had turned flabby. Constant swimming in one direction had curled his dorsal fin. His water was far too warm. An inadequate filtration system had him swimming in his own waste. He was breathing the world's smoggiest air. These hardships, along with his improper diet, had weakened his immune system. He was over a 1,000 pounds underweight, and his skin kept breaking out in warts. And in his frustration, he had taken to gnawing at the edge of the pool, a habit that wore his teeth down to stubs. Well, various <coughs> activists started campaigning about this when it came to light, and over a few years, they managed to raise um, actually millions of dollars and eventually, there is enough money to move him to a new purpose-built home in a, a big aquarium in Oregon. And this new tank was four times the size of the one he'd had back in Mexico. And it was filled with much colder, just normal, genuine seawater straight from a nearby bay. It featured reversible currents that he'd have to swim through and work against, um, water jets for him to play among, even submerged rocks for his navigation so he wouldn't you know, bored, mentally ill almost. Um, and so at the start of 1996, Keiko was flown to his new home. Within one year, he'd gained over a thousand pounds, his skin cleared up, and even his dorsal fin began to straighten again. And that is a little picture of what it means for people to go through the door of Jesus Christ from the old life they were living to a new one of having life to the full. Uh, people on the other side of Jesus, before they go through the door, may look like they're doing fine. On the surface, they may kind of be doing fine. By the way, this world keeps its score. They may be making loads of money or having loads of pleasure in a particular way or being super successful in their career or famous. Or they, they may seem like they're doing fine, at least on some very shallow level. The reality is they're like the whale in his first home. Spiritually, they're wasting away. They're dying. And... They, if they haven't, like, by definition, they won't have anything to compare that to. They will think they're doing fine. If, like my dog Oski, you had trained um, Keiko the orca to speak as well and said to him, what do you think of your home in, in Mexico? He'd say, well, I'm not suffering. This is normal, isn't it? I don't know anything different. This is just how it is. 
That's, that's what it is like for everyone who's not in Jesus. And then if they go through the door, they move home, then they start to realize what life can be like. And living with Jesus will not necessarily make life easier. Like Keiko's new home had these, these currents that he had to fight against and swim against. But life with Jesus, going through that door, is infinitely healthier and will, will give joy that is much deeper than any suffering that accompanies it. A bedrock of satisfaction and fulfillment and, and purposefulness that can never be taken from you. And most of all, eternal salvation. And loving nurture and safety and security won't be subject to the danger of Satan and demons and other kinds of evil. Be safe in Jesus. It means life to the full. Well then, in verses 11 to 15, we see how some of these blessings have been won for us. So we're still under point two. Point one, authentication of the Good Shepherd. Point two, the blessings of the Good Shepherd. And, and we've, we've seen what some of those blessings are. Now we see 11 to 15, how those blessings have been won for us. Verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. So there's I am saying number four in the gospel. And here's how the good shepherd obtains those blessings for his sheep. Here's how he wins them for them, reading on in verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. When Jesus died on the cross, as we just celebrated with Christina, what he was doing was taking God's righteous punishment for our sin in our place so that we might have an eternity, not of facing God's judgment for that, but an eternity of, of being in God's family and therefore receiving all of those blessings we just thought about. And that is contrasted with the false leaders who Jesus describes in 12 and 13, who aren't committed to the sheep, who don't care for the sheep, who at the first sign of trouble abandon the sheep. And so they don't lay their lives down for the sheep like the true shepherd does. They do the opposite. They lay their sheep's lives down for them. They're in it for themselves. Whether it's some kind of power ride or, or after the money or they're, doing, they're being a spiritual leader for the sake of the kudos or whatever the case, they're putting themselves over the sheep. The opposite to what Jesus does. And that is a great way to spot any false religious leader, um, even one claiming to be Christian who isn't the real deal. They're not passionately, sacrificially giving themselves to their people, serving their people. It's their people are kind of serving them. So if you sense that dynamic with a, a pastor or any religious leader, then just be really suspicious. Bible leadership, as exemplified by Jesus, is that the leader serves the people, not the other way around. And in contrast to those false leaders in 12 and 13, um, Jesus reiterates his characteristic as our true leader. End of verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. And we're going to witness Jesus doing exactly that in a few chapters' time. So we've seen what the blessings are, how the blessings are won, and the final thing on the point two of the blessings is who the blessings are for. And we see this in verse 16, where Jesus says, I have other sheep, not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. They'll get the authentication that I'm their shepherd too. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Um, guess who those other sheep are? Answer? I'm looking at them. It's us. Rank outsiders. Fancy us being Christians. People who Jesus' original listeners, when he said these words in John 10, could never have imagined in a million years. Gentiles, like at least most of us. Non-Jews. That was 
way beyond what they were assuming. Thousands of miles away and thousands of years later. Like talk about other sheep not of his fold. Thousands of miles away, thousands of years later, different nationalities from countries that many of his listeners didn't even know existed when he said these things. We're the other sheep. And look at us, here we are this morning. We heard his voice, even over time and space. And that's why we're sitting here this morning, because we recognized it. And if we extend that same principle, the application of this is that we should never, ever, ever discount anyone we meet, no matter what they look like, no matter who they are, from potentially being elect, from potentially having been predestined, from potentially being one of Jesus' other sheep that he still needs to gather. Because no matter how far from God someone might seem, no matter how much of an unlikely candidate someone might seem for being a Jesus follower to our surface judgment, Jesus says he has other sheep. And, and you know, who would we be to discount people? We need to just get the witness out, get the master's voice out, get people to church so they can hear the master's voice from the book you, in your laps and all the other ways. And, and those who are the other sheep well, it'll ring true in their hearts. They'll find themselves getting up and following him, as many of us have in the last few years here at Redeemer. Because just like membership in, in God's flock wasn't just for people in Jesus' lifetime, just for Jews, just for the religious, we've got to remember, it's not just for people who might be like us. And that is why I'm genuinely super, super excited about what we're doing for the first time this year at Redeemer, our, our Christmas gift box campaign. Um, my family are doing a few of these. Here's one of the ones my boys have been working on. So this is a shoe box wrapped up. Let's see what's inside. Okay. Now these are to go out to, to Croydon's Homeless, and I'll say more about that in a second. Um, we have some warm clothing, scarf. You m maybe uh, you could chuck in a woolly hat, some woolly gloves, something like that, hand warmers. Um, we have some, some sealed fruit. Uh, we've got some, some ham in a tin. Uh, we've got some chocolate. We've got some deodorant. Um, we've got some earplugs so for sleeping. We've got some uh, skin product. We've got some, some caramel tarts. We've got some Christmas candy. Some lip balm. Some chewing gum. Uh, some, what is this, hand cream. Uh, some toothpaste, some Kleenex, got some, some nice, nice smelling soap, um, got some snack bars. Uh, we have um, a toothbrush, got a spoon, got some highly nutritious uh, breakfast bars, some protein. And here's the most important thing of all that we need to be putting in these boxes. So when you bring these boxes, leave them unsealed because the final most important thing of all gets put into them by the staff team is number one, one of these notes. And one of these notes will be in every box, and here's what these notes say. Hi there. If you're reading this, you've received a Christmas gift box from Redeemer Church in Croydon. We want to show you love because we've been shown life-changing love by God himself through Jesus. You can experience his love too. Join us any Sunday morning at 11 a.m. You will have to stay for the service, which is about one hour, but you will be warm and dry. There's free food and hot drinks. And you will meet people who are kind and caring. That's you guys, by the way. We meet at Ark Oval Primary School in Cherry Orchard Road. It's five minutes walk from East Croydon Station. There's a map on the postcard. So they also get a Redeemer Church postcard with a map on the back. Happy Christmas 
and enjoy the gifts with so much love, Pastor Will and everyone at Redeemer Church. And then the one other thing that will go in each of these boxes, most important thing of all, is a little tract explaining the good news of Jesus, the Master's voice, so that any of them who are elect will recognize the voice and come and repent and believe and be saved. And so we're stockpiling these boxes over the next few weeks. Please be making them. Get your kids making them. That's what we're doing. Nate and Teddy have been loving this, and it's been amazing discipleship for them. Bring them on Sundays. Um, we're collecting them here at church. They'll be transported back to the hub and stockpiled there. Um, or bring them to the hub, the church office, throughout the week. Um, just direct. And then throughout December, we will be distributing these among the homeless people in Croydon. We can get them out a variety of ways. The staff team will be giving them out. Maybe the Friendship Friday team can be giving out. Maybe some of you want to join us. And we know where hordes of homeless people congregate. And um, we'll be, when we give them to them, getting the chance to talk to them as well in person and, and hug them and pray for them and, and be alongside them. Because Jesus has other sheep too. And he wants to bring them in. And it's our privilege to find out who they are by putting out the master's voice and seeing who responds. So do jump in with that. Which brings us finally, briefly, to the good shepherd's sacrifice. So we've had his authentication, we've had his blessings, and now third and finally his sacrifice. This is verses 17 and 18. And here we learn a number of things about his sacrifice. To illustrate the first, I'm going to share a short modern-day parable written by one commentator designed to try and capture this. So just sit back and enjoy this story. Once upon a time, there was a land ruled by a wicked prince. He had come from a foreign country and enslaved all the people of the land and made them miserable with hard labor in his coal mines across the deep canyon. He had built a massive railway for the trains that carried his slaves across the canyon to the mines every morning, and it was heavily guarded. But two men were still free in this country, one old and the other young. They lived on an inaccessible cliff overlooking the railway. They hated it. At last they resolved together to blow it up and destroy the slave labor of the enemy prince. They planned and they prayed and they reminded themselves of the reality of heaven. Well, the night came when the deed would be done. Their hearts were pounding with joy. It was a hard plan. It would be possible to time the trek of the railway guard so the explosive could be carried quickly to the vulnerable spot on the railway. But there would be no time for the carrier of the explosives to return. It was certain that he would be seen and the plan foiled if he tried to return. To make sure the railway blew up, the two men agreed that the young man would detonate it by hand on the railway. He would blow up with it. But they believed in heaven and they loved the people of the land. And so the honor of the sacrifice made their hearts leap with joy. The hour came. They folded up the map of their strategy, stood up from the table, and embraced each other. When the young man got to the door, he turned with the explosives strapped to his back, looked at the old man, and said, I love you, Father. And the old man took a deep breath with joy and said, I love you too, son. So here's the first thing we learn in 17 and 18 about Jesus' sacrifice for us. Number one, the father loves the son because of his sacrifice. Verse 17, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life. At number two, Jesus' death was voluntary. Verse 18, 
No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. The good shepherd laid down his life for us because he wanted to. He wanted to. And number three, Jesus' death is tied to his subsequent resurrection. End of verse 17. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Or halfway through verse 18. I have the authority to take it up again. That's why we have a living Savior today. So, we're just about there. Jesus gives all the teaching you've just heard, verses 1 to 18. And the big question is, what do they make of it? What's the reaction? And the answer is, the reaction is massively, aggressively polarized. Have a look at verse 19. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon, he's insane. Why listen to him? There's that vicious opposition to Jesus that we've been getting used to in John's Gospel. And it's there to to give us a reality check and set our expectations for what we should expect if we're going to be faithful to Jesus. Reading on though, others said, these are not the words of him who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That's exactly what Jesus just did last chapter. We looked at that last week. And that division is given to us by John, partly to put the ball in our court. So we've heard the teaching they heard. The question for us as we finish this morning is, which camp are we in? Which way are we going to jump? What do we make of Jesus? Are we going to accept his authentication of his voice and receive his blessings and benefit from his sacrifice and therefore entrust our lives to him and, and let him be our shepherd? Or are we going to reject him? And if it's the first, then some of us may need to rededicate our lives to this good shepherd if we've been drifting away from him a bit recently as, as sheep are prone to do. And so let's have some quiet now before I close with prayer to consider. What one aspect of Jesus' ministry that we've seen here, authentication of his voice, his blessings, his sacrifice, which one of those three, authentications, blessings, sacrifice, do I maybe need to take home in my back pocket this morning as, a, as a, an encouragement to me or a challenge to me? Let's have a think. Which one of those three, his blessing, his authentication, his blessings, his sacrifice, it's maybe a word in season for me this morning from the Holy Spirit as an encouragement or a challenge. Am I going to trust him as the good shepherd? Am I going to follow him? I'll have some quiet before I close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the good shepherd, the one leader we can trust in our lives. More than anything we might idolize and, and allow to become a leader in our lives, more than any other human. Father, please, if we recognize his voice, have mercy on us. Stop us from walking away. Help us to trust and follow him and be blessed by him in the ways we've thought about this morning. Help us to accept his authentication and receive his blessings and benefit forever and ever and ever from his sacrifice for us. And Lord, we are sheep. We're, we're not the brightest spiritually. We drift, we wander, we forget. Lord, those among us who need to rededicate our lives and start trusting again in this good shepherd, I pray you would help us do that. 
And I pray all of these things in the good shepherd's name by whom we even are able to talk to you. Amen.